Okay, welcome to another episode of the Way and Manager podcast. As always, I'm your host, Greg Bryan. And on this episode, we're going to take a deep dive, kind of literally, because we are going to talk all things submarine cable. So for that, I have with me my colleague, Alan Malden, who is a research director at Telegeography, and among some other things, uh, is in charge of our submarine cable research. So welcome, Alan. Hey, Greg, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of this podcast, but I never thought I'd actually get a <laughs> chance to actually be a guest on this show. So I'm, hey, I'm yeah. honored. Happy to be here. Well, just so you know, you've been in, in the back of my mind for the roster since the start. So we've just been getting there. So yeah. All right. Building up here. <laughs> Welcome. Okay, I, I like it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so like I said at the intro there, we're going to talk about submarine cables. This is, of course, the WAN Manager podcast, so we're really going to try to focus on how submarine cables impact the WAN. So I, I doubt anybody listening to this podcast kind of needs to start at the, the very beginning of, of how important submarine cables are to global networks. Alan, I'm sure you run into this more than me, but when you talk to lay people outside of the industry. Most people tend to think that the global internet comes from satellites. <laughs> it does not. Yes. It's all mobile. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, wireless. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, even folks from, from either side of that enterprise market might sort of have that question of, of you know, why are submarine cables, uh, which are usually thought of as a wholesale telecom industry kind of issue, how are they relevant to the multinational uh, corporation? So maybe we could start there, sort of just take us through why should uh, someone who uh, sells uh, enterprise networks or manages enterprise networks for, uh, you know, whatever kind of industry, um, a global a multinational corporation, why should they care about submarine cables? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a great question. I think one that we've been getting asked a whole lot more in the past few years as we've seen enterprises increasingly look to understand, you know, which cables uh, are they using, the traits of those cables, um, who is which operators are, are on, on which cables. And so the, mm -hmm. the facets people care about the most probably tend to be which cables are the most reliable, what's the uh, latency yeah. of different cables, and then depending mm -hmm. on where, where you are in the world, the price can be pretty important, right? I mean, the, the price is pretty yes, cheap cheap indeed. for some links, like across the, the Atlantic, let's say, but other parts mm -hmm. of the world, the long haul portion of the of the, the price is really expensive. So those are probably the, mm -hmm. the, the, the three biggest things. And just to go back to the the, the issue of how reliable a cable is, I mean, there's, there's really no public source that you can find that will track the cable faults by cable. Um, that right. is all confidential data, right? So we are we are trying to track internally here, you know, which cables we know about or have been known in the press at least to have had 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 faults. Um, right. So com companies may may want to try to understand which ones are more fault prone in some cases, right? Mm hmm. And that would that be uh, an issue about the the construction of the cable, about the the location and some of the activity going around uh, in the vicinity of that cable. Um, uh, what, what, what leads yeah. one cable to be more fault than another? So it's, it's just where cables are, 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 are laid sometimes. For example, the, the mm -hmm. AAG cable in Asia going through the uh, South China Sea is in a spot that is very prone to a lot of um, fishing and, and anchoring activity, which is the, mm. uh, the, the largest cause of faults. So that cable Wait a minute, I thought it was often. sharks. Shh, don't worry about it. It's not sharks. 
<laughs> yeah. So fishing and anchors are the biggest source of cable falls. It's out there. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows it now, right? Um, right. All right. Yeah. We can put that to rest, folks. <laughs> yes. You mentioned uh, latency. How, yeah. how is that an issue um, that the enterprise maybe needs to think about? So, I mean, clearly you want to try to optimize for latency in most cases. And so you, you're going to have the mm-hmm. option of multiple different cables you can choose from between different locations. So um, mm-hmm. one way you can try to optimize for latency is you pick the, you know, the two, three, four lowest latency path cables to, 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 to use for your, your network. Um, mm-hmm. The, the uh, difference between the cables can be you know, small in some cases, but if your goal is to drive out latency as much as you can, you might as well go ahead and opt the ones that, that are that are the, the, the lowest because it all adds up, right? I, I'm not on the submarine cable team at Telegeography, despite having the map behind me all, all the time, right? Uh, I assume that the main issue with latency is is the physical geography, where how exactly they routed the cable is what sure. cuts down on latency, or are there other factors? Yeah, length is the primary determinant for the sub-cable mm-hmm. uh, latency, and so... Uh, you know, there's always a desire to lay cables as straight as possible, but there's mm-hmm. challenges with that. You have to avoid certain waters of certain countries. You want to avoid certain fault zones. You want to avoid undersea shipwrecks and canyons and all kinds of hazards, you know, underneath the ocean. Right. So trying to find a, a route that is a, a very safe route has to, be, has to be balanced with trying to find the straightest route, which is going to have a lower latency, mm. also a lower cost because the if the cable is straighter between two points, it's cheaper, less fiber, less mm. less repeaters mm-hmm. in it, makes right. everybody happier when it's cheaper, right? So, right, and it, every repeater you hit lowers the latency just a smidgen, sure. right? Uh, nanoseconds, but still, yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, and you know, you you also mentioned price. I think I think we'll table that for now because I I had yeah. planned to ask you something about price later. Um, but so, you know, when I was thinking through this topic, um, you know, I deal with a lot of WAN managers who, uh, because of these kind of revolutions that we talk about all the time on the show, SD-WAN, uh, digital transformation, the move to the cloud, so away from the internet and toward local internet breakouts or whatever, a lot of them are rethinking the way that they construct their WAN in a way that they kind of become almost like mini telecoms. So we're, we've worked with clients who are who are building their own backbones using optical wavelengths and, and stuff like that. So um, if you were talking to someone uh, that, that was in that position, especially someone who maybe didn't come to their WAN manager position from the telecom industry, which is most of the people that are doing it that way, right? Um, but uh, would, what, what recommendations would you have um, f- for IT infrastructure teams looking into making that kind of move of, of thinking through of like kind of creating their own backbones between regions or whatever? Yeah, that's a really good, 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 good question to ask, and a, a very key thing these days is, um, I think the 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 biggest angle that I would see is coming from being where you're pr- previously trying to use a, a a carrier, let's say, to manage all of your your needs, to then kind of going mm-hmm. behind the carrier, you you now realize there's a lot of options you could have for sourcing the the capacity on submarine cable. Maybe you weren't aware of. There's a lot of smaller companies right. that are specialists. Mm. Who can provide some great service and probably some pretty good, good, good prices to, to get you, um, you know, from point A to point B, um, for at least one part of your network. Maybe they can't provide your entire backbone, but using some of these specialists right, there's some, or smaller companies, uh, there's some, yeah, carriers that are like single purpose uh, 
telcos that only operate like one or two cables, right? Yeah, they so. just do transatlantic or they just do transpacific mm-hmm. or they just do to Latin America. I mean, these are, there's lots of companies like this. The ones who own and operate the cables who have the capacity, presumably a cost, um, whereas a carrier is, you know, trying to sell the capacity from those companies, right? So a little bit of a right, markup happening right. there. Yeah, so you're doing the the break bulk thing. You're just going closer to that uh, to the start, right? So. Absolutely, and and I think it's important to also then understand, you know, not just the suppliers and and who, who your options are for buying, but also the types of cables and the just mm. all the the traits of them about where they land, where you can which because um, the cables land into you know data into data centers now, not at just some station on the middle of the shore. So you need to make sure you can access the cable directly from the certain station you are, the certain data center you want to be in, let, let's say. Um, mm. it's, mm-hmm. And it's also, I think, important to, to, to realize, you know, not all cables are the same. It probably seems pretty obvious, but um, mm-hmm. there's a whole array of the age of cables, the capacity of cables. Right. And, and so, um, you know, one thing you'd probably want to avoid is you might get a really nice price on a very old cable that might only be in service for two or three more years. Maybe that's fine. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's right. fine. You're like, that's a great deal. Right. I need it just for right now. Mm-hmm. I can move, move off of it later. But if you want to try to build a network up and not have to constantly go out and resource capacity, you want to probably opt for a newer cable that's going to be, able, it's going to be around for a while and, and be able to expand mm-hmm. the capacity more in the future. Just, just out of curiosity, uh, I, I've heard this number before, but uh, you know, a lot of information goes into my head and back out. What, what is the kind of general shelf life of a cable? So, if you were looking at uh, the the ready for service dates of a bunch of cables, how, how do you do that math? Because I, I doubt that the salesperson uh, starts with that, right? So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, cables are engineered to last for a minimum of twenty five years. That's like the rough. Okay life, what they're mm-hmm. engineered for to last. Well, cables can certainly last longer. They're not going to just fall apart when they hit age 25. Right, they don't right? ex- explode like uh, James Bond. They don't, they don't melt or anything, yeah. right? Um, yeah. But that but that said, what, what, what really matters is the economic life of cables. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's at what point mm-hmm. is the cable, you know, can the cable's capacity expand enough to provide um, service similar to the other new cables in the market so that your your revenues are more than your than your costs, right? Because the cost mm-hmm. of the cable to maintain the cable, it's not based on right. the capacity. It's based on how long it is. So the right. marine maintenance right. you're paying for a cable that has one terabit versus a cable that has, you know, 100 terabits, they're paying the same in, in maintenance in terms of the uh, marine maintenance, right? So that's a, something you want to mm-hmm. bear in mind here. So if, mm-hmm. you know, if older cables aren't scaling up fast enough or can't scale maybe, they become very economically obsolete, basically, right? And right. and at, right. at, at that point in time, the operators may consider turning them off. And so we saw two cables turned off in the Atlantic just in the last six months, actually. The oh, Ta- wow. The TAC-14 wow. yeah. cable was turned off, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and the Columbus 3 cable um, was turned off. Uh, TAC-14, I believe, was in service just about 20 years. It didn't quite make that 25th okay. year, right? Um, Columbus yeah, three, yeah. also a similar lifespan. It got to the, you know, 20, mm-hmm. 20 or 21 or so years of, of, of life and that's it. Um, so it's one thing it's, it's, I think we're going to, we're going to see more of this in the future. We're going to, we're going to see cables that were built during the telecom boom days, these 
these old cables from 2001, right. like the late nineties through the early eighties. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, many of these cables are still in service and they provide great, they provide a, a they still could provide a great level of service, but at some point, mm-hmm. at some point, they're going to just be not able to scale enough any, anymore and right. become very expensive. So you're, you're already seeing some of these companies look to kind of build replacement cables for those. Mm-hmm. Or some mm-hmm. companies are going to just exit the business entirely of being in submarine cables and just put right. their capacity on something else. There's a difference, isn't there, now when cables are constructed newly, not just with the, you know, you can switch out optical uh, transmission equipment on either end, I assume, right? But but with just the number of fiber pairs, right? So, so some of those older cables, from what I understand, literally only put in like two or three fiber pairs. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's definitely. I mean, that's even true of cables that were deployed even somewhat in the past five five years or so. Is that? Oh wow! Okay. Cables were limited mm-hmm. really to depending on the, on, on the distance. Um, generally, they had you know four to six pairs of fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a challenge of trying to power the repeaters over long distances. There's been some right. changes in this and some de- developments just in the past few years. So we're seeing the fiber pair count of cables really soaring. A part of this is just due to we're getting near the the end of how much bandwidth we can put over a single fiber pair. So mm, the, mm-hmm. the, the 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 way to boost the capacity of a cable isn't trying to eke out another ten percent gain on that one pair. It's like let's just go from six pairs More to pairs. twelve yeah. pairs. Boom, hundred percent right. increase in capacity. Right. So mm-hmm. we saw a cable that entered service in January, the Do Not Cable that Google operates between France and the U.S. has 12 pairs. Um, wow. There's, there's two cables that are planned uh, for next year in the Atlantic. They're going to have 16 fiber pairs. Um, mm-hmm. So And there's plans to go to 20 and 24. And so this is a, a trend that we're going to be seeing happening uh, in more parts of the world, not just the Atlantic, which is, you know, that is the highest capacity submarine cable route. But Right. We're going to right. see it happen in the Pacific as well, and then also down to South, mm-hmm. South, South America and within Asia as well. Yeah, it's just always really interesting to me when when you think through that uh, about you know even twelve pairs. Like when you're used to terrestrial capacity, once you're digging a hole, you yeah. you put you just dump as much fiber as you can into the hole. It's it's a it's strange to think how limited all of that that backbone is in a certain sense. Although you know obviously there um, uh, we're just now getting to the limits of what you can physically get over the the uh, fiber. But that's that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a need to constantly try to evolve the cable te- technology to optimize mm-hmm. the capacity per pair and the, and the capacity of the entire cable because you put a cable in water in the water and you want to last for let's say 25 years, you hope, and 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 so being able to scale it as as high as possible, 10, 15 years from now is really important. Yeah, so that sets us up perfectly thinking about that supply side right um you know w- one of the the key conversations that that i often have around whole, wholesale transport services in in general not just submarine cable um is that that the trends that we see in the wholesale transport world um are always sort of building up to influence the price trends that we see in the enterprise services world because you know enterprise services are are just one of the things running on top of those those wholesale prices mm-hmm. so if you want to see how enterprise prices 
are going to move. You look at what wholesale prices have been doing sort of, um, you know, previously to that. Um, so I, I just wonder if you could give us kind of a general review. I know that the, the answer to all of this is always, it depends on your geography and, and stuff like that, of course, right? So, sure. um, but just give us a general review of what's happening with submarine cable pricing. And maybe first, uh, since I since I kind of started out this way, what are the supply forces that that always keep pushing prices down? That's that's the one rule that's almost rock solid in telecom, which is that prices only ever go down, right? Why and 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 how much does that vary geographically? Yeah, sure. This is a really common question that we get: is you know, if if demand is so strong, shouldn't that mean that prices are going to mm-hmm. go up because demand is so great? Right. Um, Econ 101 seems to be turned on its head, abs- right? <laughs> absolutely, right? Yeah. Um, so what, what's really happening here is, is as demand grows and the cables can you know, increase their, 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 their capacity, the, the unit cost per terabit, let's say, is constantly mm-hmm. going, going down. So right. there isn't this increase where the cost is constant, so you're going to have – Increase increasing the demand is increase the, the prices that you you have a lower cost base so prices are able to fall because the market is a competitive market on most routes at least so mm-hmm. this this mm-hmm. this reduction in the unit cost of bandwidth is just passed on to customers in the form of it, uh, lower prices and so the pressure reduction that we see for wavelengths uh, you know as you said it varies a lot depending on where you are in the world it can be you know, 10 to 15% annual rate of erosion, it can be as high as 30, 40% some, some years. It really varies mm-hmm. a, a lot depending on, wow. yeah. on, on is there, are there new cables coming in? How competitive mm-hmm. is the market? Uh, what are the volumes we're, 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 we're looking at here as well in the terms of the contracts? Right. Right. So it's not, it's not just, um, are there new cables coming, but it's, it's who is, uh, building those cables and and do they plan to sell capacity um, or or use it for themselves and that kind of thing, right? So the competitiveness matters as well as yeah, the new supply and whatnot. That's definitely yeah a really key point is that sometimes you have one cable come into service, but that has mm-hmm. six parties on it who are all going to sell capacity. So you have one cable, right. but six six competitors all fighting with each other to sell the same product. Mm-hmm. Which is good right. for an inter- enterprise, right? This is great. Yeah. All right. So, so we can we can calm all the econ professors down that there is nothing unusual going on here. It's just that we we tend to think of the demand side be, because you can think of all of the increase in in not just consumer traffic going over this, obviously, you know, uh, video and over the last uh, f- fourteen months or whatever, uh, the in- radical increase in video communications, which is bandwidth heavy or whatever, but uh, you know, enterprise processes are going more to the cloud rather than being on campus, and so all that demand is still just outstripped by the radical increases in supply. So there's nothing weird going on. It's just that you don't think of how fast the supply increases. Basically, is that is that accurate? Basically, I wouldn't say it's outstripped per se. I don't think we're that that would imply mm-hmm. we're we're seeing a a glut of bandwidth happening, which is not really the case. So, right. Right. Um, you know, right. The so the demand there, does rise up to meet yeah, it, right? Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that's you know there was this 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 you know there was the the whole bandwidth glut what twenty years ago now. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time, right? right? Or 25, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, there's no glut of bandwidth, right? So people see a cable mm-hmm. inner server and they're like, "Wow, the cable has can can handle two hundred and twenty terabits." That's the cable's design capacity when it's fully lit up. Um, right, right. And you scale it over time as demand 
you know, as, as demand grows, you mm -hmm. add capacity to meet that. So having this big gap between what you've lit or brought into service in the cable and what's potential isn't a bad thing. It's good. Mm -hmm. It means you have future runway to scale up your cable over time. If you had right. no ability to, to do that, that's bad because your cable is all the way full and mm -hmm. prices go down every year. So your, your revenues are going to go down every year. <laughs> right. Right. So it's it's good to be able it's to kind say, of the opposite of Bitcoin, right? They 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 put a cap on the number of bitcoins you create so that the value could go up, right? It's yeah, yeah submarine cables. Uh, it's not Bitcoin. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I think I think we just got our cold opener for the show right there. So, yeah, you're welcome, Jane. <laughs> All right, so you know you kind of just mentioned this, um, uh, but but I, I want to see if we can. Uh, you know, dig a, a little deeper into it, perhaps what's been the general demand growth. So, you know, I mentioned, obviously, you know, consumers are, are consuming a lot more video and things over the internet over the past few years. And then obviously the last 12, 14 months, we had this uh, boom in, in video communications that had been ramping up also for a long time. Uh, but, but what, what are we seeing in our data about sort of the, the demand uh, curves or uh, on, on international submarine cable kind of routes? Sure. Uh, so just like price, it varies by the route and where you are of in the course. world. <laughs> of yeah. course. Otherwise, uh, we wouldn't call ourselves telegeography, that's right? right. So. <laughs> that's right. That's uh, right. So I, I would say, you know, broadly speaking, the, the demand can be anywhere growing at an annual rate of, you know, 35 to 55, 60%, depending on, on the route in the year, right? But I think what's really mm. important here to understand is, is how it really splits out between types of customers. So, um, so the customers who generate the most demand on submarine cables are the content providers, OTT, cloud, whatever you want to call these guys. Mm -hmm. It's Google, Facebook, mm -hmm. Amazon, Microsoft, right? These are the companies, right. who, and 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 they experience they're experiencing far more rapid rates of growth than we see among the the carriers and, and others other other companies. So. Mm -hmm. A content provider might might be you know doubling their capacity every uh, eighteen months or a year, whereas a carrier right. maybe, maybe doubles their capacity every two to three years. So wow, it's still it's That's still growing fast. Yeah. It's still growing fast, right? right. I mean, the thing is, mm -hmm. you you think think of a, a growth rate of um forty forty one one percent. It's not that fast. That's doubling every two years. If it's twenty seven percent, that's doubling every three years. So twenty seven percent seems really low. But if you're going to have right. to double the capacity within three years, mm -hmm. that's a lot of capacity, which is why we're seeing so much investment happening in new cables all over the world because you can see what's coming, right? You can see what's going to come. If, right. we, if we stay right. at this rate, the curve just keeps getting higher and higher and, and mm -hmm. you're going to have to have more, more new, new cables and as well as the ones that are currently in service to you know, upgrade them constantly and add more and more capacity right. to them. It's, you know, it's interesting, just uh, the, the vertical integration here, when I think through this, and I look at our data, and I see content providers, of course, most people seeing the word content provider, they're thinking Netflix, whatever. Yeah, but it's it's just a, a, a an interesting fact that uh, the, the same, a lot of the same companies that are content providers are the enterprise services cloud providers in the same, you know, so 
obviously Amazon, right? So, you know, the consumer is, is getting prime video uh, and, and the business is getting AWS services or Google, the same thing, right? Google's uh, YouTube and, and, uh, and they're also, you know, uh, providing business platforms. It's just funny how that works out well for us in our data that we can see it that way um, and, and kind of see cloud as, as a part of that whole uh, equation, you know? Yeah, one thing I wanted to add about this is, is thinking about the pace of demand growth and how it's growing is when we talk to the content provider companies and, and they all almost, almost tell us the same thing is that they have, a, they, have a, they have a really big problem trying to forecast the rate of demand growth. They can maybe right. see, you know, 18 months, three years out what they think they're going to need for their network. But their plan so far has really been to let's add a lot of capacity just in case because we don't know what's happening. So it's mm-hmm. kind of be, mm-hmm. be safe with this. And, and, um, but going forward, the, the, the drivers that, that they see, you know, are things that it's uncertain how much they will affect long haul demand, AI, right. VR, right. AR, machine mm-hmm. learning. Right. We don't know how much of that's going to Im- impact the long haul, the Metro, the, the, the regional networks. It's, it's, yeah. it's hard to know this right now. Things haven't been even developed yet of how we're going to use these technologies. Mm-hmm. So, um. It's going to be a fun, fun, fun future to see how it all, um, you know, ramps up over time. Yeah, a wild ride. Um, well, especially, um, you know, that that I've mentioned this a couple of times already, but that, you know, the world changed pretty radically, you know, 14 months ago. Um, uh, you know, just that and, and, and a lot of those changes might, I think, carry forward in perpetuity, even as we get back to kind of um, a, a, a pre-COVID life, it's never going to look like it did pre-COVID. But I'm curious, did we see in our data the impact of, of that, uh, you know, big change of, of how uh, everybody in the world was working? Yeah, so in terms of the impact of COVID on the demand uh, for the long haul, inter- the international portion of, 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 of networks, um, again, it varies by region. <laughs> Um, we, <laughs> There's a we, theme here, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we saw the strongest impact in, uh, I believe, in Africa, the Middle East, and Australia, mm, and some degree to yeah. Latin, 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 into Latin America as well, but uh, less of an mm-hmm. impact, uh, you know, some parts of Asia, the U.S., and in, in, in Europe. Um, there was still some some in, increase in some some accelerated growth of capacity because you know the, the demand is growing all the time, but trying to dis- disaggregate. Right what was a COVID effect versus what was just the normal case of growth is pretty right. hard, hard to right. do. Um, so of we, we, had, we yeah. had tried to come, tried to ask people, you know, did you accelerate your upgrades? And many of them said they mm-hmm. did accelerate the upgrades. They did try to move forward, mm-hmm. adding international and even domestic capacity and adding more IP transit, mm-hmm. adding more peering and cash and all, they were doing all these things last year to cope with COVID. But I think since then it's really kind of settled down. Uh, we haven't heard of anybody, ah, of any companies, mm-hmm. um, forecasting just this massive accelerated pace of growth. Um, right. what, what pretty much happened was the growth kind of moved forward last year, right? People wanted to mm-hmm. scramble for bandwidth, get a lot of capacity because they weren't sure what was going to happen. Then once things sort of kind of settled down, then the normal pace of growth was re- was re- resuming for many, for many operators. But again, the, the, gotcha. the impact here is, we're talking about is just the long haul international. I think the impact right. most heavily right. from COVID was on access networks, mm-hmm. right? And and within of course, cities. Yeah. So it, it was a different, different story for the 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 sub sub, sub yeah. cables. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a whole other topic, but I, I, I uh, think about this one a lot. And I think we're very lucky that COVID happened after everyone had already started watching television over the internet because even just residential residential networks were upgraded way past where they would have been if COVID had happened just a few years ago, you know? So, yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, imagine COVID 20 yeah. years ago would have been a complete disaster. Yeah, well, the, the global economy would have yeah. shut down. But I mean, even even five years ago, things would have been very different, you know? So, they um, which which gets me to think about this. I, I've I've been uh, at Telegraphy fifteen years. You've been been here a bit longer than that. So um, uh, we're we're both kind of old enough to remember when um, if you were looking for a submarine cable service, it was at uh, you know OC three stem one or you know six twenty two was kind of yes there is even why not uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely right um, so. Uh, when, when I was last kind of paying closer attention to the wholesale market, uh, 10G was, was still the coin of the realm, even on submarine cables. What, what kind of bandwidths are we talking about now? And and what is it, uh, what is it ramping up toward? Sure. So on the major, uh, major routes, it's 100 gigabit is, is kind of the Mm -hmm. standard product. So looking at, you know, the, the transatlantic Pacific within major Asian hubs, that's really the the product. 10, 10 gigs is is still certainly wide, widely yeah. sold in the other parts mm-hmm. of the world. Um, mm-hmm. We we are starting to hear you know some rumors that we're going to see uh, four hundred giggy as a product being rolled out uh, soon by some of the cable okay. operators. Um, so so they will have the ability to offer that. Um, there certainly is is a demand among the the, the, the higher capacity users to have a, a higher mm-hmm. bit rate product right. uh, available, right. available yeah. to them. It's funny, you know, that, that like I, we were saying before, the break bulk that translates into IP transit prices, of course. And and uh, just recently, I was talking to some folks from the pricing team at Telegraphy and, and saying, like, looks like we need to move some decimal points on IP transit because, <laughs> you know, uh, you're, it was always dollar per meg. Right. And yeah. uh, when you look at a dollar per meg now, when you're talking about transport being at 400 gig E. Um, you're getting into fractions of cents per right. mag. And so I think we need to either uh, change the metric, maybe price per gig, you know, something like that. But uh, dollar per meg isn't really making sense when you're talking about um, gig E transport. I mean, 400 gig transport rather. So Yeah, yeah. for sure. I think that, that's probably going to happen, I think, with, with, within, the, within the industry to, to move to a, a, a unit that's going to make more and more sense as this the, the current unit becomes less than a single cent <laughs> eventually. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I know this is, this sounds uh, maybe backwards, but I thought um, as we start to, to wrap things up, we'll think about um, maybe the, the history of this, uh, which um, uh, this business, right. Which leads us to the future perhaps, yeah, but yeah. Um, at least as I, as I understand and recall it um, in the very early days of submarine cables, right. Um, you know, decades ago, uh, not not the very very early days of uh, what you know. Who's the guy that uh, did the first telegraph uh, transatlantic or whatever? It's like um, Cyrus McCormick or something like that. I don't know. Cyrus Everybody Fields. Google it because I'm Fields. sure Cyrus Fields. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad that you knew that. That's well done. Yeah, but um, but you know, like a, a couple few decades ago, when you were building out telecom, you know, data uh, submarine cables. As I recall, it was mostly like governments, maybe big um, carrier consortiums um, among some ILEC PTT kind of uh, players, right? Um, uh, and uh, 
then then we had sort of content providers um, uh, get into the game. Um, uh, can you take us through sort of what the what the trends are in who builds and operates submarine cables, um, and and uh, and then maybe how has that coincided with um, the way that cloud and data center footprints have expanded over the last uh, ten years or so? So how much time time do you have, Greg? You ready to go for this I know, that's a big here? question, isn't okay. it? I, yeah, yeah. The history yeah. of submarine cable ownership, here we go. Um, yeah. Originally, it was indeed largely the, the telcos, the, the national tel- tel- telcos of each country um, who mm. would band together, who would all invest in whatever capacity that they needed to have for their own needs, build the cable jointly. Um, that was the case until the late 90s. We saw the introduction then of mm-hmm. more private cables, companies like Flag Telecom, Global Crossing, uh, building their, their own private cables, which they would then sell the capacity off to whoever wanted, wanted to have capacity on the cable. But we still saw the consortium model existing side by side with this private model you know, for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last you know, 10 years or so, consortiums have changed a bit. They've become a bit smaller. You don't have usually 30, 40 mm. members, you have maybe mm-hmm. five to 10. The largest users of the capacity are more inclined to, to, to invest in this, right. to, to meet their right. own needs and sell off to the smaller carriers who don't really want to have their own seven cable teams to, 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 to invest to in the cable. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But what you're getting at also, what you mentioned uh, in this setup was the change in the types of companies uh, building and that right. started in 2010 when Google became one of the investors in the Unity cable across the the the, the Pacific, uh, and mm-hmm. so since mm-hmm. since then, uh, Google has invested in many more consortium cables, as has Facebook and Amazon and Microsoft. Um, but Google has taken a little bit of a different uh, tact recently with um, building what they call Google private cables. So the cable that I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier today, the do not cable between France and the U.S., it's purely owned mm-hmm. by Google, right? So they 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 are doing all but them, themselves. Now, the the, the key is thing to bear in mind their traffic. Ah, like, this uh, is the, this is the key thing to keep in mind okay. here. Yeah, yeah, people people think this is bad. It's just for Google. They're going to take over the world. Like, okay, right. their cables are still used by people besides them. So in the case of okay. the of the of the student do, do not cable. They swapped with Orange of France two pairs in the cable mm. in exchange for the backhaul mm-hmm. in France and a cable station. You know, so they kind of had an agreement with, with with Orange. Orange gets the pairs to offer capacity to other carriers, to enterprises, to me and you, right? So it's people can still right. use the cable. It's not just only for Google's Google's use. So. Well, they, plus Google is selling cloud services to uh, you know everyone from small businesses to to multinational enterprises. So, sure. so in that sense, it's not you know yeah, it's not just so Google. That's traffic, a very fair say, point. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so yeah. There, but there there are there are parties who are not part of Google who are able to buy mm-hmm. capacity and mm-hmm. or start to sell capacity on the cable as well. Right, um, but still, I mean, that's a really interesting change in in the the way that the market ha- has worked. So, sure, yeah. and it's also interesting when you see companies that work that work t- t- together. So the the half free cable entered service this past in, uh, November, I believe, it involved Google and Facebook together, and Aquacoms mm-hmm. and Bulk. So it was you know a couple of couple of you know wholesale carriers and two of the um, OTT hyperscale people. Right, so you see these companies working together, which is kind of interesting. Um, right. There's just a, there's a need to band together to you know pull the money they have to to build cables. 
Yeah, well, since you since you bring up that point, um, uh, again, understanding that it varies geographically, like just just give us a ballpark. What does it cost to build the submarine cable? Transatlantic could be you know two hundred, two hundred fifty million dollars. Transpacific would be three hundred to four hundred, depending on okay. where you're going. Yeah. Um, once mm-hmm. again, you know, length is the biggest determinant generally in in how much a cable costs. Right. Um, right. But also, so it's Pacific it's the number really of cable expensive. stations matters. Also, mm-hmm. is it going through shallow waters? That matters because mm-hmm. you have to do two things. You have mm-hmm. to have armored cable, which is more expensive, and you have to bury right. the cable. You will trench the cable one to two meters deep on under the ocean floor or the, the shore ah. to keep it to keep it safe. So if you're going to build a cable right. in, in the South China China Sea, you're going to want to you mm-hmm. know try to bury that cable to the extent that you can because it's a heavily right. fished area, a lot of anchoring there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that that's fascinating. To, to be honest, I mean, I knew they trenched it like you know very near the shore, but I hadn't thought about how you know, of course, uh, the ocean floor has its whole own geography that's incre- crucial well, to think about. In this, yeah, right? I mean, so, to, yeah, to, yeah. Just to be clear, when it's in the in in the in the deep sea, the cables aren't aren't trenched. Right, laid of on course, the bottom. yeah, yeah. But, but laid, laid down that there. shallow yeah. water can go out quite far on some coastlines, right? So, yeah. Definitely. You yeah. you you never want to want to go to go to the beach and say, "Oh, look, it's a cable." <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> I know I know that cable, that Greg. won't happen, but don't touch the cable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, that was just the first thing that went into my mind. <laughs> so, yeah, so well, so to to bring you back to this kind of the second part of my question, yeah. one of my favorite uh maps that 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 we've made over the past few years is the map of like, if you look at uh, cloud footprints from, from the decade of like 2005 to 2015, and then just the last like five or six years, like it, the, the cloud presence not only doubles or triples, um, but, but then also migrates South um, because, you know, most uh, major cloud uh, data centers were, were in the Northern hemisphere and had left behind Mm -hmm. key points in the global South. Right. Um, has some of that uh, uh, submarine cable development coincided with with that data center expansion? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, the, the the first cables we saw content providers in, in, involved in were in the Atlantic, Pacific, intra Asia, right? But mm-hmm. we're, we have the seen normal more, routes, right? Right. We've seen more development with uh, Google, especially investing in many cables going to South South America. Also, mm-hmm. uh, Google's building a cable right now to Africa along the, the West Coast, the Equiano cable. And Facebook is leading a, a, a consortium to build a massive cable around both coasts of Africa called To Africa. And it's a massive project. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are both scheduled to be right. in service in the next couple, couple of years. So they're not ready yet, but um, definitely going to be important projects to bring more capacity to, to those areas. And you know, one thing you mentioned earlier about you know how does their investment tie into the you know the the cloud foot footprint is it definitely mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. is 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 linked because the cables that we're seeing deployed sometimes go, go to spots where cables didn't go before but they go now because of right. their role as major hubs for data centers so you're seeing cables right. like um, the the a the AEC1 cable goes from the west coast of coast of, of, of Ireland you know across to the to the mm-hmm. US um, there was previously mm-hmm. no cables from Ireland directly to the U.S. Um, right, so they'd have to hop over to the southwest uh, England or whatever. Right, right? So, yeah. the new mm-hmm. uh, half-through cable is Denmark. 
there's some mm -hmm. stuff happening right now in, in Denmark with, with new things being being built built there. So um, Google's cable uh, Curie goes from the U.S. to Santiago, Chile, because Google mm -hmm. has a data center in in, in Chile. Yeah, they need, yeah, they, know, <laughs> I remember looking at that years ago. <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> there was there there were very few cables on the west coast of South America, and they were old, right? So like, right, yeah. And if Google dropped a data center there with before the cable, right? So yeah. And and, yeah. and and part of the issue is is kind of back to the whole issue of why we're seeing new cables being being built is is these companies can't source fiber pairs in the market on the current cables that exist. Because mm -hmm. either the cables are too too small, they don't have them for, available for for sale, right? So. They want to build their own cables, which they can then have the pairs them, themselves. That, that kind of fuels part of this is that even if there's capacity available, it's an issue of fiber pair shortage. Right. So we're, right. we're, we're going to see more cables um, announced probably this year, next year, going to, to India, um, both India mm -hmm. heading uh, west to Europe and India going um, east to Singapore. It's going to have the involvement of more of the content providers in it as well. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it's interesting because, you know, in the in the carrier services world, north-south traffic, east-west traffic is a term of art denoting, uh, you know, which <laughs> sure. networks is sure. on. But in the submarine cable world, it's literally north-south or east-west. Right? Absolutely. So, yeah. 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 Excellent. All right. Well, you know, Alan, that was that was a really great review. I, I I've been around this for a long time, and I still uh, learn some things, which I think is uh, is is exactly what my goal is here in in the podcast always. Um, so thanks so much for joining us. Um, if if people have additional questions, is there a way that uh, that they should reach out to you? LinkedIn sounds good to me. That's a fine way to contact me. All right. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. And, and you occasionally blog uh, on the telegeography blog as well. So folks can check I happen to do that. Yeah, as well. definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So Alan, as, as you know, I always like to, uh, to go to some fun stuff at the end here. And, um, and you know, I thought, uh, just the other day on our on our telegeography Slack channel, someone posted this uh, uh, excellent New York Times geography uh, piece because we all love geography <laughs> at telegeography about accents. And and um, uh, I'm I'm from South Florida and live in North Virginia. Those are the only two places I've ever lived, which are both places where everyone is from somewhere else. So I have an accent that is entirely impossible to pin to a location. But you. Your accent got pinned ex almost exactly to your hometown. Is that correct? In in Central Texas. Yeah. This this this, this quiz was actually designed to I guess rank uh, terms or phrases that are that are common to your your home mm -hmm. home home region or state or or city. And so yeah, it pegged right. me to Fort Worth, Texas, my hometown. So I was very proud there to know go. that despite me not not having having lived lived there for. Um, a very long time now. Um, well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. So the reason uh, and folks don't know this, but I'm recording this uh, fairly early in the morning for me to do my chipper podcasting voice. But uh, that is because you are not in Texas. You are in Bratislava, right? So I'm what's, in Bratislava, what's Slovakia. Life like, yeah. Yeah. Of, of heading up um, Telegeography Central Europe. Uh, right? HQ here. Yeah. yeah it's it's great here. Yeah, um, I can. I'm I'm not any, anywhere close to a, to a sea or an ocean, so I'm very uh, unbiased and impartial in my view of the of the cable, in the right. cable industry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the cables are how we're able to have this call right now, which is great. You know, to like you know create some more more yeah. more demand for international uh, networks. 
Um, and it's working pretty well. It's not pretty much good, right? of a delay, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And and uh, and how have things been COVID wise for for Central Europe? Uh, I, I've, yeah, I've heard some news um, that that's not so awesome. So <laughs> we were we were we were pretty good like last summer, and you know, and the fall hit, and it, it is, it's been it's been an absolute d- disaster in this region. So uh, I think it would be Czech Republic, Slovakia, and Hungary were all among the top like ten in deaths per capita from COVID. Mm. So it's been a really brutal Man. last uh, four or five months here, but. The good news is, I think things are finally getting getting better here and calming down, mm-hmm. and so opening up very slowly here. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's been a long winter. Yeah, have you been able to get vaccinated yet? That's the key question. Uh, I've had one shot so far. One shot. All right. Yeah. So second one's coming. You're yeah. going to get to to take a trip to Texas shortly after. I'm that, hoping then. to fly to Texas this this summer. Uh, yes, because Excellent. you know. There's there's many nice things here. There's castles. There there's forest. There is not Tex-Mex or barbecue here, Greg. Yeah, Maybe exactly. you've heard about that. Yeah. So I'm I'm definitely yeah. eager to I'm eager to get back to Texas yeah. and get some 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 good food. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I hope you get to drop by DC on your way home uh, as you often do, and and let's grab a beer. Sounds great, Greg. All right, thanks, Alan. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening. The Wayne Manager podcast is brought to you by Telegeography, a division of Primetrica Incorporated, and is edited and produced by Jane Miller. I wrote the theme song you're listening to right now, and we get administrative canine support from my dog, Honeybun, who you might hear chiming in from time to time when the mood strikes her. If you want to learn more about our data, head over to telegeography.com where you can find our blog that covers many of the topics we hit here, and you can sign up for our WAN Manager newsletter. Until next time, have a great day. So guess what, folks? We got some big news at Telegeography, and that is that we just launched our WAN Forum. What is a WAN Forum? Well, this is a content hub and community for anyone involved in the management of a WAN or in IT infrastructure for mid to large enterprises. And it's got all the analysis and content that you enjoy from telegeography related to the WAN, uh, plus some extra videos, some interviews, and some uh, special tools that we've designed um, just uh, for inclusion here, like our SD-WAN vendor selector, um, a high-level WAN cost calculator to give you some ideas of what market prices are. Basically, if you like the kind of stuff that we talk about on this podcast and you're an end user, we think that you'll enjoy the WAN forum. And of course, this is a space meant to be shared, which is why a WAN forum subscription includes access for up to 20 members of your team. So check it out by heading to WANforum.com. We'll be adding some new tools, constantly adding new analysis, and announcing some upcoming WAN forum events very soon. So you want to make sure you bookmark that. That's WANforum.com. We can't wait to see you there and for you to dive in.